0: Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at uh, the time of Jesus' tempting in the wilderness. Before we go there, though, um, I want to take you to a couple of other places in the Bible just to prepare us um, for this teaching. And so the first place, if you want to go to, is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8, by the way, um, are the scriptures that... Uh, Jesus refers to uh, when the Satan comes and begins to tempt him, there the uh, that's the place where he turns to in his mind, and, and even uh, gives verses to refute the the devil. But I wanted to come to him, and I wanted to come to verse four and five in particular, so we have an understanding of um, you know where the the people of God were and what God wanted to do with them, and also what. You know, he wanted to do with us and establish in us and establish us in. It says in chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you may recognize this because Jesus Uh, quoted this when it was asked of him what are the greatest commandments and he pointed to this as the greatest commandment that you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength. Um, As we're here just I want to remind you of what God was doing with the children of Israel and it's a picture of the Christian life that we have now remember he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea and, and here, as Moses is speaking to them and God's talking uh, through Moses to them, he has them at, in the Sinai um, there at Mount Horeb. And uh, he's establishing them as his people who would be holy to him. That means set apart for him. And for them to be set apart, he was bringing them to this place that they would learn to trust him. That they would learn to trust him. And they were going to need to trust him because he was going to have them do some crazy things, things that in their minds they couldn't even have imagined for themselves. Part of my prayer, even for, you, for us this morning and for you guys this morning, is this, is let you would know, uh, you would have that kind of relationship with God and see that kind of work in your own life. Where, where you see the fulfilling of Jeremiah 33.3, 3, when God says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you did not know or in other words call to me I'll answer you I'll show you great and mighty things you could never imagine for yourself you could never imagine and the people were going to have to trust God because he was going to do some crazy stuff that they couldn't have ever figured out how he was going to work it out but they were just going to have to trust him for and it was going to be the most reasonable thing that they could do trust God even though it didn't, they couldn't work it out in their minds. Think of this, that they were going to be brought out of slavery by 10 plagues that God was going to bring on the Egyptians. The last plague required the shedding of blood. Remember, the blood of the lamb, the Passover. But as God brought them out of slavery, he brought them to the Red Sea. He said, Moses, why are you standing here? You need to keep moving forward. What are you talking about? He's talking about the Red Sea. The Red Sea had to be opened for them to pass through. Was it Moses who opened up the waters? No, it was God. Was it God who set them free from slavery? No. Or, excuse me, it wasn't Moses, it was God. And who was it who brought them into the wilderness and he fed them and gave them water? It was God. And even when the enemy came against them, who gave them victory? It was God who led them by Joshua into the promised land. And there in the promised land, gave them victory after victory after victory. It was God. And God was doing this great work in their life. And he led them all the way, but they were going to have to trust him. They're going to have to trust him. You as well. This is your faith that you trust God for the work that he wants to do. That you don't rely upon yourself, but you trust in him. That's not how our culture goes, does it? Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This this has got to bring us into where we're at now and and be on guard. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Man, I bought a, brought a new Bible this morning. It's, like, really crisp. Like, it turns nice. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul tells us what the end times are going to be like. I believe we're living in the end times now. And so here's what's going to happen, what, what we should expect to see, how the people will be. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, he writes, for men will be lovers Of themselves they'll be lovers of themselves I think that we see that today men worshiping themselves it's all part of our culture and and what I why I want to bring this to you is you're gonna see that the temptations that uh, Jesus is under as Satan comes to him in the wilderness they are not far from us I think many have come to those temptations before and thought, oh, those don't relate to me. Uh, Was Jesus really uh, tempted in all ways as I have been tempted? Can he really sympathize with me? Because I've never had the temptation to turn stone into bread. I've never had the temptation to worship Satan. I've never had the temptation to throw myself off the pinnacle of the temple. But you know, really at the heart of all those temptations will always be to serve self. And we carry around this potential idol with us everywhere we go. And everywhere we go, especially in our culture today, we are tempted to follow after self. Follow after self and trust in self. And when you're doing that, then you're forsaking God in the end. And it so happens in our culture today that that it it goes on so much that we take it as the norm. And we think, well, everybody else is doing it, so I guess that's the way that you live life. Well, not for the believer, not for the child of God. We don't go back to trusting in man. We came away from that to trusting in Jesus Christ and coming to God for all things, that we could be at rest and have a peace and a joy that surpasses any understanding So we do go through the same temptations. For Jesus, they were just packaged differently. And they might be packaged differently for you too. But at the heart of them, they're the same. And it's always to go back to self. In the end times, they'll be lovers of themselves, which will then cause them to be and cause us to be, if we fall for this, to be lovers of money, And the passage goes on to say, lovers of pleasure. Because money and pleasure are the ways that we bless ourselves. We'll see it's all part of the temptation. Now let's go over to Luke chapter 4. I really want to draw us into where Jesus is at. So now we come over to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. A little extra background to help focus us in a little bit more. Jesus is coming out and away from uh, just being baptized by John the Baptist. Remember, it's that time where we see the Holy Trinity where uh, Jesus is there in the water with John and, and, and has just been baptized and God the Father speaks, and he says, "'Is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased.'" And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him. And so that's where then it comes, that Jesus, starting in in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, "'Then Jesus, after this time of this baptism, "'the Holy Spirit coming upon him, "'let Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan "'and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness.'" being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And so here he is, the Lord's bringing him, very very interesting, bringing him down into this place where he's going to be tempted. But this is good, because just as Jesus, or excuse me, just as God had brought the children of Israel to Mount Horeb and there uh, tested them, um, was establishing them, here he's establishing Jesus as well. Jesus will be established to be the Son of God, to, to be the one who can overcome the enemy. He'll be established. And once he's then established, then you go into verse 14. So you skip over where we're going to study, the, and you get to verse 14. Jesus has gone through his tempting in the wilderness, and then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And that's when his ministry began as he was able to now now it was seen of him that he was god and, and 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 that he could do all things you know some of the feedback i've gotten from the message last night and this morning is is on a couple of different things but Here's what I want you to see in sharing this. God has, you are God's child. He has so much more in store for you. But you're not going to be able to live as that child and serve Him until these temptations that are constant in your life have been overcome. And I hope that today for you is when your mindset changes and separates from our culture today, to the way that God wants to take you, where you can be fully trusted in Him. Fully trusted and ready for whatever thing that He has ready for you that you could have never imagined for yourself, great and mighty things. So now let's jump into it. Starting at verse 1 again, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. By the way, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, one of the places you're going to get to go see is the wilderness. And it's really cool because I I had not seen it this way before um, when I went back in 2004. But when we went this year to Israel, uh, we were standing at Jericho. So where the walls of Jericho had fallen down. And then you look into the wilderness, right? And you see... uh, You see um, where Jesus uh, possibly would have been during this tempting, during this testing, and it's a barren place. There's nothing out there. And so that's where him uh, coming into, that's where he's at. Now, notice this, that he came in being filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want to make note for you very quickly. We need to note here that if Jesus needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit and especially going in to tempting and being prepared for service, for holiness unto God, we too need the Holy Spirit. And just as the Holy Spirit was available for Jesus, Jesus has made the Holy Spirit available for us, that we can have the same baptism, the same feeling of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have that feeling of the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask for it. Luke eleven thirteen 13 tells us that. But the Holy Spirit there has been given for the believer. And let me tell you, you will fail the test. You will lose the battle. You will fall in the trap every time if you're trying to succeed by trusting in yourself, in your flesh. Trust in the Lord. So Jesus, he's being filled, been filled by the Holy Spirit. And then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Note here also that as Jesus goes into the wilderness to this place of testing, that it wasn't an intellectual determination. He didn't reason it out. Well, where should I go next? Oh, I have a good idea. Why don't I wander into the wilderness and go be tempted by the devil? You know, that wasn't how it worked out for him. It wasn't, you know, a plan that he set into place. No, he was led by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, which wouldn't seem rational. But, you know, it actually was the most rational and reasonable thing that he could do. Because the most rational and reasonable thing for anyone is to trust the Lord. If the Lord says go, then go. And trust him for it. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter what you think stands in the way of, it doesn't matter. Just trust in the Lord. I have so much to say about that, but I'll digress. <laughs> if he says, quit your job so you can serve your family, then quit your job to serve your family. Oh, but, but what about the bills? Let him take care of the bills. Let, let him find you. you know, he'll lead you. He'll help you. I mean, I, I've, I don't know. That's just one that comes to mind. Your kids need you in their lives. And if God's calling you to that ministry, to serve your family, he's going to take care of you. He's going to meet your needs. He calls you to downsize. Trust him for it. You know, if he calls you to move away, go overseas, plant a church, oh, but this, this, and this. No, trust him for it. Trust him for it. We think it has to be a certain way. Just trust in the Lord. That's the way. So, he goes into the wilderness. It says there that, In verse 2, he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Tempted for 40 days. And I think it wasn't just these three times that he was tempted. I think it was ongoing temptation. And it may have even been other things. But this is what Jesus wanted to share with us as to what he was tempted in. And it says that he was hungry, of course, being out there in the wilderness, and I bet even more than hungry. Thirsty, tired, cold, uncomfortable. But this was where Satan found him and came to him in his weakened state. And be careful for you too, because you may be in a weakened state now, and this would just be a warning to you. Watch out in that weakened state. Maybe you're weakened because of Uh, being tired, being stressed, sickness has come on to you, Um, you know, you're grieving the death of a a loved one, whatever it may be, and you find yourself in this weakened state, watch out, because the enemy wants to come, and this is the time that he will come. And he'll come, even like he came to Jesus, and we're going to see in just a moment. He'll come in, and he'll act all buddy-buddy with you. He'll come in, and he'll start... You know, acting like he's your best friend, and these suggestions he has for you are, you know, going to make things better. He's going to use this time where you're weakened to get you. And he'll come in close, and he'll come in personal, and he'll even come in real friendly. But this is where you learn to discern the lies of the enemy. You come to his word. And so, the temptation begins. And here it is in verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so, as Satan comes in to tempt him, here's the temptation. He's saying, You're hungry, and you're the Son of God. Why are you waiting around for God to do something for you that you could do yourself? Why don't you just make it happen on your own? Doesn't that sound like what we face today in America? We are like the do-it-yourself nation. We love to do it yourself. Get it done. And we take lots of pride in it. We get it done ourselves. I don't need anyone else. I can be independent. I can make it happen. And that's exactly what the temptation is that Satan's offering to Jesus. Why don't you just make it happen on your own? Take matters into your own hands. But Jesus refutes him, you know, by using the scripture. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And he's going back to, no, no. This is what God said for his people that they would trust him. They would trust him. They would trust him. You know, we get to working to try to make things happen for ourselves. There's not going to be a rest for you. Jesus is pointing back to the time where God had pulled the Israelites out of slavery, out of slavery where they were under the whip and worked hard in the sun all day long. And when he brought them out, was he going to add a similar burden to them? Let me give you more work to do. Let me make it harder for you. I'm sure you'll be happy to be my people now. No! In fact, he established something for them that they had not had ever. He established a Sabbath. And even Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. It was a day of rest. And then even throughout the year, they got got three weeks off just to go up and to celebrate the things of the Lord, the festivals and feasts that they had. And they could go up, and God said, go up freely because I'm going to protect your land. I'll protect your family. Don't you worry about it. You can go up freely to go and enjoy, and they would just go and enjoy. They had a rest like, just trust me. I've got so, I, I'm taking care of you. But when we start getting into this place where we're trying to take matters into our own hands and make things happen and do it yourself, we think it's leading us to happiness, and it's not. It's not. I, I can give you an example of that. Oh, well, actually, I'll give you a couple of examples. I had a guy come up to me last night after service, and he said, uh, he's a pharmacist, And he says, you would not believe um, the, the major source of money or the main thing that I give out is medication for depression and anxiety. Medication for anxiety. He's like, you wouldn't believe how many people are dealing with anxiety. This is how they're dealing with it. It's the only way they can get relief is to have some drug that will numb it for a while. Another example of that, and it goes along with the pharmacist. He says, you wouldn't believe how many of those who come to get that medicine are teenagers and junior high kids, even elementary kids. But I can believe it because I work with high schoolers. I see what taking matters into your own hands, trying to work out plans for your own life, what that produces. And I hope you see it too because these kids need a relief. This generation, right now, is the most anxious generation ever. That's, that's even beyond generations that were living during World War I, World War II, Vietnam War. And they're the most anxious generation. There's a great article not too long ago in the New York Times pointing this out, how anxious, how much under anxiety, depression, Thoughts of suicide these students are under all the time. And why is it? Well, they're under this great pressure that if they do not get their plan together for life, that they will be unhappy. You better know what you're going to do for a career, where you're going to go to school to get trained for that career. You better start working these out, where you're going to live, what type of lifestyle you're going to want to have. And if you don't have that worked out, you're going to be unhappy. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be depressed. But actually, what's the opposite that's happening? More of a burden's put on them. They're getting more depressed. There's so much pressure, so much pressure on them. That's not what God has in store. He wants to say to them, Give me your future and trust me for it. Go where I call you to go and where I lead you to go. There where I lead you to will be a rest for your soul where you'll lean upon me and and this is Jesus. Oh, lay your burdens at my feet. I'm going to yoke yourself with me. I'll show you life. There is a rest with Jesus. Think of Martha and Mary Remember Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus? Martha always working. And she's upset because Mary, you know, wasn't working. <laughs> and she complains to Jesus: why don't you make my sister Mary work? And what did Jesus do? He said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about so many things. But Mary has chosen the one thing. One thing. That matters most, the one thing. To be at Jesus' feet, hearing his words, trusting the Lord. That's where we need to be. Oh, but I don't have time for that. I've got too many responsibilities I've got to take care of. No, come to the Lord. Trust him there. See him meet your need. Isn't Jesus the one who taught us? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about of shelter and food and clothing and and water and all that will be added unto you. Now, you might also be saying, well, okay, God wants us to be working. Well, yeah, but it's going to be an an outflow. Uh, It's going to be, let me put it this way. As you abide in Christ and he begins to work in and through you, then everything that you do You're only working in participation with him. As he would lead you to do it, he's letting you participate in the plan. But we start to tell him what our part is going to be. And that's not how it's supposed to work. He tells us what our part is and how that's going to be played out. And in what way we're going to be able to work that out because we can't work anything out apart from Christ because Christ says... Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's temptation number one. Take matters into your own hands. Hmm. Temptation number two, verse five. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I'm not sure what mountain this was, um, but he could see a lot. And the devil said to him, "'All this authority I will give you, and their glory, "'for this has been delivered to me, "'and I give it to whomever I wish. "'Therefore, if you will worship before me, "'all will be yours.' "'And Jesus answered and said to him, "'Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, "'You shall worship the Lord your God, "'and him only you shall serve.'" Praise the Lord that Jesus did not give in to this temptation. Jesus, as he walked out into the wilderness and began his journey, where where did he know he was going to end up? He knew already. It was going to be at the cross. And on the way to the cross was going to be rejection from the religious leaders and from the people. Betrayal. There was going to be hurt and suffering. Pain blood. And what Satan is offering to him here is to say, listen, you came to redeem all this. You came to buy this all back. You know the only way you're going to get it back is by your blood, by your hurt, by your pain. Well, you don't have to suffer. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is this one thing, and it's all yours. You don't have to suffer And so the temptation was for Jesus. It's the same for us today. It's make yourself comfortable. Make yourself comfortable. But of course, Jesus refutes that. He says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And he was pointing back to Deuteronomy 6 when God was showing them that I don't want you to go after any other gods and at the center of any idol is self. And again, that's, no, I'm not, that was not Jesus' heart. I'm not here to serve myself. I'm here to serve God the Father and be about his will. Not my will be done, but his will be done. And and also to serve us. Not to serve himself. Make yourself comfortable. You know, I want to bring this up because I think this is very relevant to many. Is I see people using the principle of open and closed doors as a way to discern God's will for their life. And I just want to warn you to be very careful of that. Because oftentimes how we discern an open door is if it's comfortable. You know what I mean when I say open and closed doors, like we're going, oh, is this an open door, an opportunity for us that God has opened up that we can go into, whether it's a job, or a relationship, or travel, or whatever it may be. Um, You know, and we look at that and we go, oh, is it from the Lord? And if the route seems easy, we tend to go, oh, well, then it must be from the Lord. It's easy, it's comfortable. You should be very careful, though, and, and the open and door principle isn't bad, but just be on guard. Does God open doors? Yes. But know that Satan opens doors too. He opens a door to Jesus right here. You'll come and worship. You don't have to be uncomfortable. You'll find, though, that the doors that the Lord opens, and you see this in the life of Paul, who really taught us about open and closed doors, you know that the open doors to him, he found there to be resistance. He found suffering. He found conflict with people, rejection. The open doors from the Lord, you're going to find will get you into an uncomfortable place. And it may not be the same things that, that Paul faced. But when I say uncomfortable, I mean He brings you into a place where you can't rely upon yourself, where, again, you're going to have to trust Him. But those are the best places to be, because what did Paul learn through all of his suffering and infirmities? Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12? That he could say, I I glory, rejoice in my infirmities, because, why? He saw that when I am weak, then He is strong. He knew and partook of his grace like never before and found the sufficiency of God's grace for his life. And there we can, too, if you're willing to get uncomfortable. But be careful of, of that. And when I think of uncomfortable, too, you know, um, it's not comfortable being up here. It's a lot more comfortable being with my people, you know, uh, with, with the high schoolers. I enjoy the fellowship I get to have with them and to see what the Lord's doing with them. I see as he's led me in ministry to high school or wherever he has, calling me to uncomfortable places where I'm just unsure. I can't trust in myself, and so all I can do is call out to him. Lord, you've got to help me in this. Lord, you've got to work in me. You've got to work through me. I don't know how to minister to this person going through this right now. This is, I can't even believe, this is unbelievable what they're having to deal with. How do I meet this person where they're at and even begin to to give them some kind of hope or, or comfort? The Lord every time delivers, gives. And it's beautiful because I found in ministry, even working with youth, that uh, there's been times where I've just gotten so comfortable that the Lord's had to put me into uncomfortable places. I was working with high school kids uh, back in the day, uh, and I was getting, at first, when I first came to work with high school kids, it was uncomfortable. And it took me two years before I got connected with any of the kids at the other church that I was at. And then I got connected with them. And now I'm like, oh, now I understand them a little bit better. And now I I could engage them more. And it was becoming so easy. Well, I've got to get uncomfortable. He moves me to another church where now I've got to form new relationships. But I have to depend upon the Lord to help me in that. Oh, no, I'm starting over again. But then that got comfortable and it became easy. And I found myself not praying as much to the Lord, not, not, not having to draw into him and rely upon him as much in my life because I was just becoming complacent. I was satisfied in what I was doing. And, well, no, Joel, if you want to be satisfied, I want you to be satisfied in me. That's where this, the joy is. Well, I'm going to have to get you uncomfortable again. So I went from working with high school kids to working with junior high kids. And that was super uncomfortable because I'm like this serious, kind of passionate kind of guy and junior high kids are goofy and uh, they're wiggly and I don't know how to get down on their level. Well, but that was all me having to learn from the Lord, like to de- depend upon the Lord for him to show me and help me in that. And uh, so I got close to him again and then it started getting comfortable. So where do He move me back to? High school. <laughs> Had to figure that out again. And uh, it's getting comfortable again. But be careful about that. The Lord, be willing to get uncomfortable. God has exciting things in store for you, but you've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. Here's the, the last temptation. Verses 9 through 12. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus is pointing back to a time where, you know, in Deuteronomy there, Moses uh, is reminding the people, Hey, remember that time when you complained against God? The people were like that, right? Like they would get mad at God and they'd get mad at Moses and uh, they would just get like crazy. Like they'd start like, you know, doing stuff they knew they shouldn't be doing. They became very impulsive. They would be very reactionary. They got very emotional. This is the same temptation that Satan gives to us and is giving to to Jesus even there. As he says, why don't you just jump off of this? God will catch you. It's the same temptation for us he says go ahead take a leap of faith jump out there do whatever you want it'll be okay god will catch you right you've seen him blessing your life he'll continue to bless you. do whatever you want to do it'll be okay and that's the temptation for us and so we jump out there and we're do whatever but we wind up like the Israelites at times where we're mad at God, like, why would you do this to us? Because we wind up jumping out without the Lord, without his direction, doing whatever comes to our hearts or minds, you know, in the moment. And I mean, it could be various things, various things. And then we begin to suffer the consequences for jumping out there. You know, there's still consequences in this world. One of the greatest theologians of all times happened to be one of the greatest scientists of all time, a man named Sir Isaac Newton. Wrote great commentary, by the way, on Daniel and Revelation. And remember, one of the things that Isaac Newton discovered and he te- taught us is that in our world, in our universe, it's built in that for every action, there's an opposite or equal reaction, there's consequences. The Bible says you'll reap what you sow. And as you jump out there without the Lord, you're expecting him to catch you, but he's not subject to anyone. Who's God? He is. So you jump out there and you face the consequences of your actions and then you're all mad at God because these consequences are happening. And why didn't you catch me? Why didn't you save me? What I love about God is he's so merciful. He's still there with you. He's still there to walk you through those, through through whatever the consequences may be. He'll be there with you, taking you through them. But he's not, but the consequences are there. Watch out for those. Be careful not to be impulsive, to get caught up in that mortgage that you can't pay for, to get into that car loan that you can't meet every month you know, whatever it may be, that relationship that you have. Just be careful. I mean, the the temptation out there to be that impulsive way is all around us. Take steps of faith instead of leaps of faith. Remember Peter? Peter was a pretty impulsive guy at times. But we can take great example from him. When he was on the boat and Jesus came walking out on the water, and did Peter just, oh, that's Jesus. I'm gonna jump out there. And did he just leap into the water? No, what did he say? He said, Lord, if that's you, let me come out to you. And then Jesus said, come. And so when Peter goes out in the water, he's not taking some leap. He's walking by the direction of the Lord to step out into faith. That's how we need to be. Take steps of faith, not leaps of faith. The leaps of faith are on your own. And so, these are the things that I pray that we can see these temptations are ongoing in our lives, and they will not overcome us anymore. But even as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, abiding in him, us in him, him in us, he overcame Satan, and when we're standing in Christ, we can overcome him as well. And we don't need to be given over to these temptations, fooled by them anymore. We trust in the Lord, and there have a rest for our souls. We walk in the things that God's called us to, and we get to enter deeper into the promised land. Verse 13, as we finish. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus, so here's Satan. Working on Jesus, just can't... Nope, not going to happen. Understand that Satan has a plan A and he has a plan B. Plan A, I'm your buddy, I'm your friend. And as your friend, I got some, uh, some suggestions for you to help you out. Yeah, yeah, this will be good. But then when plan A doesn't work, because we see him for the fraud that he is, and we reject the temptations. Then he goes into plan B. And he does that with Jesus, because here he couldn't overcome him with plan A, so he waits till the opportune time. When's the opportune time? When Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, and there he's betrayed, put on trial, beaten, crucified. That's when Satan shows the other side Where he's not buddy-buddy anymore, he shows himself for the enemy that he is, and he's vicious. He comes to attack and accuse, threaten, oppress, to even hurt physically. And the same thing he's doing in plan A, is the same for plan B, he's trying to work to a place where you will not trust in God and you'll turn from the Lord. Watch out. Plan A seems so good. he makes it seem so good don't fall for the schemes of the enemy let's pray father we thank you for this time in your word we thank you for jesus christ we thank you lord that as we would believe upon him that we can live with him and he comes inside of us by the holy spirit And if he overcame Satan, then we overcome Satan. And how wonderful that is, how glorious, how hopeful. I pray that's where we would stand today as we go out, standing in Christ, standing in victory, and that we find ourselves to be more than conquerors. And I just want to speak to those who are here this morning who don't know Christ. And let me tell you, that could be you coming here for the very first time. That could be somebody here who's been in the church for years. And they've never really trusted in the Lord. They've really never found this rest for their souls that God offers to them through Jesus Christ. And if you want to come to him this morning, he's available to you. Praise the Lord that he did not remain in the grave, we're reminded of that. We're reminded of the crucifixion, the, the, the blood and, and the body broken, you know, through the communion. Yes, he took that upon himself, that punishment for our sins. And he died and went into the grave, but he didn't stay there. So even as we have forgiveness through his broken body, we have new life through his resurrection. New life. Praise the Lord. And that new life can be yours if you believe upon Jesus. And what do you have to believe? You believe in who he is, that he is the Son of God. You believe in what he did. He came to die for your sins. And you believe on him to lead you in that new life and be the Lord over you. You give yourself to him to lead you in that new life, laying your burdens down at his feet, and yoke yourself to him, and he'll show you life, and it abundantly. And if you want that for yourself, come to him today. That rest is yours. And if that is you, then I would encourage you that you take the steps of faith this morning. You humbly come to him. And a show of that would be for you to come up here, as service closes and we're going to have pastors and prayer, uh, um, you know, prayer team volunteers up here and come and talk to them. Come and find this rest for your soul this morning. It's there in Jesus and it's available to you. He's available to you. Come to him. Father, we pray for that person or people, whether that's here or beyond, Lord, that they would come to Jesus and find that rest. The world will not give them a rest. It piles burden of burden and burden and burden and burden upon them with so many promises it never delivers on. It's because it's given over to Satan and that's exactly how he is. So Lord, may they come to Jesus this morning to find rest. And Lord, keep us in that place, the believers in this room. We remain at the feet of Jesus, abiding in him, believing in Him for all things, trusting that apart from Him we can do nothing. We come to Him and receive everything that He has, the unfathomable, unsearchable grace of God that's ours in Jesus Christ. And I ask that for us in Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary, Aurora.